This morning our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from the third chapter, verses 1 through 17. Again, that is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I invite you, if able, to stand for the reading of the gospel. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is as with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Amen. <clears throat> You know, it's always interesting uh, to me when I get to have uh, uh, interactions with colleagues from various other denominations, and we talk about, you know, our own traditions and, you know, how we interpret something. Matter of fact, one of my, um, I guess, great joys was when I was a chaplain, I supervised a rabbi, and I always enjoyed going over the, uh, of course, I made the mistake one time of calling it the Old Testament, he goes, no, that's the Hebrew Bible. And I went, okay. But it is interesting how our interpretations were so vastly different. And the very things that I held to and held in common with a lot of my Christian chaplains, now, not exactly, we didn't all line up perfectly, but as you would imagine, I was a lot closer to their interpretations than I was to my rabbi friend. Um, but it makes me think about when we go to the Bible and we read some of these stories, you know, there's always that question of, well, is this meant to be literal or figurative? Is this an allegorical statement? Is it a fact? 
Is it scientific, scientifically provable? Is there some sort of history that we have to understand first in order to understand it more completely? Since most of these people that were writing this, well, let's face it, they didn't grow up in Trent. They didn't know what a motor car was. There are a few differences between the lives that they lived and the lives that we live. And some of the things that are in there, we find a little bit shocking sometimes. Sometimes it's even an affront to us. And we say, well, and, and I, I love people ask me this, do we really believe that? And I said, well, I don't know if we really believe that. I can tell you what I really believe. Um, and, of course, then some of my... Um, Doubting service members would always go, well, can you prove it to me? And they were always surprised how frank I was. I went, no. I said, you know, I can show you what I see, and I can, I can lead you to the path that led me this way. I said, but can you actually prove it? And absolutely, under no circumstances, can you prove your faith? Because that's not what faith is. If you can prove it, it's a fact. Faith requires believing. It requires trusting. It requires basically taking something not just on face value, but on its true value, according to the source that you get it from. And so, as we come to this story about Nicodemus, it's very interesting because there is that sort of clash between what Jesus had been teaching and was teaching and what Nicodemus knew. Now, interestingly enough, we know that... uh, yeah, there were a lot of clashes between Jesus and his disciples and the Pharisees. Uh, lots of stories written about that, and usually they're not quite as friendly as this one. But Nicodemus, I give him credit. I mean, he did come by night, a little sneaky, a little, I don't want people to necessarily see me talking with this guy. It's bad for the reputation. I mean, Nicodemus wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a leader of one of the sects of Pharisees. In other words, there were lots of different schools of Pharisaic thought that, kind of like in our churches today, they had their own range of liberal to conservative. Now, of course, those are very loaded terms because as soon as you say them, everybody has something that they come to their mind and they go, well, I think this is liberal, or I think this is conservative. And the simple truth is, is that basically it's like trying to catch running water in your hand, you know? You may get your hand wet, but you're not going to be able to hold a river in your hand. You're not going to really be able to nail down those terms. But we can sort of look at the interactions that happened here and to see where Nicodemus was at in his attempt to understand. Now, again, he had come to Jesus because, well, he'd heard the stories. He'd heard the amazing things he did about the water to wine, about some of the healings, about... Um, casting out demons, all of these things intrigued him because Nicodemus, at his heart, was a religious man. He was one who was from the line of Abraham who desired to be in right relationship with his father in heaven. And so when this new teacher came up who was demonstrating these signs, he at least was open-minded enough. And so when he approached Jesus, he confessed. He goes, (coughs) excuse me. I know that you are from God. You could not do these things that you're doing apart from God. So, you know, not only that, but he called him rabbi. Now, that's a pretty big deal because Jesus was much younger. Jesus was from a backwater town. 
Jesus didn't have all the cool trappings that most rabbis had, especially not the Pharisees. I mean, they were some sharp-dressed individuals, I'll tell you that. They had the, the tassels were perfect, the phylacteries on the ends of their tassels were, were always done just right. They always, you know, they were the model. They were the ones that taught everybody what the law meant and how it was to be applied. And so in this moment, you have one of these teachers, not just one of them, but one of the leaders of a certain group of them who is coming to Jesus and confessing, I know that you are from God, but he didn't really know what that meant. He's asking him. He's desiring to engage, to get some explanation. And Jesus gives it to him. Very truly, I tell you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've been born from above. I know this is an interesting word, um, born from above, born anew, or um, in vernacular from the mid-70s, 80s, and on, born again. Of course, again, that like a lot of these other t- titles, you know, some people, they hear born again, and they really are drawn towards it. Other people hear that, and they go, what does that mean? Matter of fact, one of my favorite things to talk with people when they ask me where I'm from or what, where, what my denomination is, and I said, oh, I'm an evangelical Presbyterian. And some of them go, how does that work? I understand evangelical and I understand Presbyterian. I said, yes, we are, we are a unique animal in God's kingdom. As a matter of fact, here's the, here's the even cool part. If you were to go to another evangelical Presbyterian church, they might be a little different than exactly what we are because there's a lot of freedom in, you know, the things that are non-essentials. The essentials, we have unity. But there's a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different um, traditions that we find very important. But yet, if someone does it a little bit different than we do here, we don't thumb our nose at them. We don't, you know, we don't get in a fight over it. Um, when we serve Holy Communion, I can tell you that uh, I've talked with a few of um, the other pastors in, uh, in this particular presbytery. And when I was explaining what I did, my liturgy kind of throws them a little bit. I had one go, that seems very Catholic. And I said, well, I had a few friends from, who were priests as well, and there are a few things I borrowed from them because I like them. I like certain elements of that. Well, Jesus goes on to explain to him, you know, was Jesus being literal? Do I have to be born, really, a second time in my mother's womb? Am I really required to be born again? Nicodemus' mind was just blown at this point. He's like, you know, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what you're asking me. It sounds kind of crazy. But again, he still held him in esteem because of the signs and wonders he had been performing. And so Jesus doubles down. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of go, okay, well, let me, let me explain what I'm talking about here. He goes, no. You have to be born again, born from above. You have to be born of water. You have to be baptized in water and the Spirit. And, you know, in the Jewish tradition, they had baptism already, but it was not the same as we have it. It was a cleansing ritual that they did to be ritually pure. So he's just blowing his mind left and right, and Jesus keeps going with it. He says, it's like the wind. 
you know the wind is there, right? We, matter of fact, the other day we knew a lot of wind was here. I've got shingles in my backyard that uh, testified to the wind. But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Now, of course, you know, we have tracking things and storm chasers, so we think we know better, but in truth, at what point does the, you know, does the wind turn into a breeze? But is not yet still wind? So the truth is, very clear to what Jesus said here, was you don't know where it comes from. And it's like that with the Spirit. Matter of fact, the interesting part about this is the word that was used for wind in this is also the same word that is used for spirit. And when I'm talking about the word for spirit, I'm not talking about any spirit, but I'm talking about the Spirit of God. In ancient Hebrew, it would be called the Ruach, which is the spirit that hovered over the waters of creation. Um, here's pneumatos. It's uh, the Greek word for it, but they're the same. It's the spirit. It's the um, wind of God, the breath of God, the life-giving force of God. And so he's being told, you have to be born of this because what is of the flesh is just the flesh. But what is the spirit comes from the spirit. And so in order to be right with God, you need to get out of this mentality of the flesh because a lot of us try to do that. We try to justify that because that's the way our world works, right? I mean, when we're hearing the children's story talking about, you know, not keeping making more and more mistakes because eventually it'll catch up with you. So when we do something wrong and out of the mouths of babes comes wonderful truths, you fess up to it. You basically say, I, I broke this. Um, <clears throat> matter of fact, there's a story from my youth. That, um, you know those hurricane globes? About the atoll, glass, you put candles in them. Well, <clears throat> one of the children in my family um, broke it. Now, this particular sibling was really good at putting together model airplanes. And so took his airplane glue out and Put it back. But not only that, he realized that there were two globes in this one room. One was kind of hidden behind the door in a shadow, and the other one was more in the light. And so if you took the piece that had the crack in it, turned it the other way, and placed it up there, it might go unnoticed. And it did for six months to the point where this individual forgot that it had even happened until his grandfather came for the very first time to that house and immediately asked my mother why there was a crack. And that glass thing up there. And for some reason, she didn't ask my brother or my sister, but came straight to me. She wasn't wrong. But, of course, when we are in trouble like that, when we do something, our first response is, how can I get out of this? What can I do? To that's, the, that's the flesh. And that was a lot of what was in the Jewish teachings, because it was the law. If you will obey the law, if you will, not just, the, not just the Big Ten, but they expanded them to over 600. Matter of fact, this is, this is how, how crazy it got at a certain point. They would tell them exactly how many steps they could take on the Sabbath before it was considered work. The prohibition against eating meat and dairy together. In truth, that was a Levitical code that basically said you shouldn't have a calf boiled in, mother, in the mother's milk because that was a pagan ritual that was done. It really did, 
But they wanted the people to be so careful not to break one of God's laws because what happens if you break the law? You're a sinner. And of course, they know the weight of sin. So they expanded these laws. They grew them. They stretched them. And it became a heavy burden and a yoke. And so in order to live right and be right with God, you had to keep all of these laws which kept getting trickier and harder and more restrictive. And so here's this Pharisee who really is not a mean person. He's a good person. He wants his people to do well. But he's stuck in this mentality of we have to fix what's wrong with us by doing the law as if that's possible. And basically what Jesus is telling them here is it's not. Just like it's impossible for us to be born again literally. But if we take out our understanding of how the world works, about where life comes from, and really accept the spiritual aspect of this, what what he's teaching, is that you must be born of the Spirit. You must allow God to do the work in you, to cleanse you, to heal you, to bring you back. And then he really goes the distance on this, and he makes a reference to what? The Son of Man must be lifted up like Moses lifted up the serpent. You guys remember that story? Israelites, known for their complaining, apparently really got on God's nerves, and God sent them snakes. Pretty harsh. I mean, I heard a spirit of the rod spoil a child, but snakes. And the snakes are biting them, and people are dying. And it's serious. And, of course, they're crying out now. It's like suddenly, okay, Moses, we didn't want to follow you. We wanted to complain about it, but only you can save us. And so, of course, Moses prays. He's told to um, lift up on his staff a bronze snake, which, of course, is funny because... What would you call that? What would you call an object resembling an animal lifted up for people to look at? It's an idol. See, God, I, God has a great sense of humor sometimes because he knew that they would be like, what? It's like, look. Look at the snake or get bit by snakes. You choose. But, of course, it wasn't the magic of the bronze snake. It was their faith to God, them being willing to blindly follow, to do something which went against their thinking in order to accept what God had asked them to do. It's kind of like with us. We always want to take the easier route and say, but what can I do? Nothing. At least not to initiate. We respond back to what Christ has done for us in his coming, in his being here, in his being lifted up for us. The Son of Man came because God so loved the world that he gave his Son in our stead. That God had this plan as he has had continuously. Last Sunday we talked about that all sin came into the world through Adam and then all the subsequent generations until Christ came and relieved us from those sins. And now today, we get the story of Abraham, who was reckoned as righteous. Why? Because of his works or because of his faith? It was because of his faith. 
Because if it was because of his works, then it wouldn't have been reckoned to him. He would have been owed that. But God said, no, this is something. I, you are righteous because I'm calling you righteous. And this is a hard concept for us to get sometimes because in our world, that's not how the flesh works. You got to earn your keep. You got to work off your debts. You got to do something to get something. That's the way the physical world works. And it has a place. But when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our restoration, when it comes to God's love, we do not earn. We do not deserve. We do not invoke it into being. But it is given to us freely by a God who loves us, a God who has a plan for us, and he continues to reach out to us, even in our stubborn, hardened hearts, even in a world where it's so much easier to think, well, I may not be the best, but at least I'm better than them. It's a hard truth when we finally realize that not one of us has the right to brag or boast. You may be better than the person next to you. You may be better than 90% of the people on the planet. But only one was ever good enough to be perfect. And we hung him on a cross because his perfection was something that caused us to recoil. They ran away from him. They abandoned him. They left him there. Of course, God was all over it. He already had the plan. He knew what he was doing. He knew what was going to happen through that because of that. That all of creation would be healed and made whole again because of Christ Jesus on the cross. And so our faith is reckoned to us through God's love. And yes, we respond with belief even if our belief isn't perfect, even if our understanding isn't total. Basically, we're just called to work with what he's doing for us, knowing that his spirit is giving us the power, his spirit is giving us the strength that we might truly confess and know Jesus Christ, not because we were good enough, not because we deserved it, but because God loved us that completely, from the very beginning until the day we are called home. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. <coughs> Gracious and holy Lord, I give you thanks and praise for all of the good news that we are offered through our scriptures, through the stories of Jesus and his teachings that he left us with, through that which your Holy Spirit enables us to see and reveals unto us. And for all these things, Lord, we praise you, we bless you, and we are humbled before you. We lift up these prayers in Christ's holy name. Amen and amen.